In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunday edition of the True Life Podcast. We are here with some very incredible individuals, in my opinion. We might as well go around the horn and let themselves introduce themselves to people who may not know who they are. Ben, why don't you start off, my friend? Where can people find you? Who are you? And what do you want to say? Uh, My name is Benjamin C. George. I am the... Uh, BenjaminCGeorge.com is my website. Sorry, I have an echo feedback here, so I'll cut it there. <laughs> Jason. All right. Minute. Yeah, Jason, uh, you can find me at experienceintegration.com, same Instagram handle. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to dive into this conversation tonight and just see where this thing goes. Absolutely. Paul, or should I call you the Stig? <laughs> yeah, Paul's good. Um, yeah, you can find me here on Sundays at 2 o'clock Hawaii time. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, I had an interesting conversation with a guy yesterday who started up his own church. Now, when you think of church, you think of spirituality, you think of religion. You may or may not think of psychedelics. You may even think of like Jim Jones or Charles Manson or some sort of mind control. However, this guy started the church of Silomethoxin. And we got into a really deep conversation about how the psychedelic experience in a church setting can actually help people solve a lot of trauma. And I know all of us here have had some experiences with psychedelics and have all had some spiritual experiences with it. Paul, what do you think about the psychedelic experience under the umbrella of a church? Um, I mean, didn't we talk about this last week? Oh, maybe. Do you remember what we said? <laughs> um, the psychedelic experience experience um, with a church. Um, I don't. I don't know. It sounds to me. It sounds confining. Mm. You know. Um, it's like you know, pre setup type of thing. 
um you know i i am all for like psychedelics without structure you know uh i'm not into like the shamanism and the you know um whatever coaching and and the rest of that stuff you know that like it just seems to me like if you're going to throw a church into the mix it's even more constricting um you know i think it's and i think i said this last week i think it's it's a personal journey and you know good or bad i believe it's something that people you know should try to work through themselves you know seek their own answers um um process their own experience um you know I, I, that's that's kind of where i am what do you think about that jason hmm. i don't know i kind of have to agree on some levels paul like even do, being someone that does sometimes do coaching with people and and whatnot um I think that if there's too much influence by an outside source or too much influence of a structure that it, that it has to be a certain way that all of a sudden you, I don't know, you're, you're kind of setting constraints around the mind when you're trying to break those constraints um, that I think there could be some cause of just concern. Like, okay, what is, what is this about? But I think on the other side, I could see where there might be some people who, need some of that structure because they're dealing with their lives so unstructured through trauma or through various things like their outer world is so fragmented that to actually do the work with this medicine they they need a somewhat of a container to then heal to then break the container is almost more i feel like but if that container never gets broken and you think you can only do that work within the confines of a church or through the confines of a shaman or whatever i think you've missed the point yeah. I mean, I think, I think like some people like within their first, like, you know, one or two experiences with it, you know, like coaching you know, that might be beneficial, but, you know, I think as you get into it and you really start to, you know, um, you know, continue to use it, that it, you know, that, that stuff, um, you know, isn't necessary and it's something you should be doing on your own. There's like a difference between like the medicine and the magic of this stuff. The medicine needs the container. The magic is like, go on your own and like freaking figure it out. Like, if you want that magic, like go for it. Uh, but if it's medicine, maybe, I don't know if that's a delineation that we could draw between the two. What about this? Like, I kind of think that this is my opinion. And I think all of us have read a little bit of research on different ideas of what's happening in the brain when people take psychedelics but it seems to be a consensus of neurogenesis so i think maybe in the beginning people that may be fragmented i think the first couple sessions are going to cause some sort of neurogenesis and allow you to think more clear i think it's going to solve a lot of problems in the way you think and after that point mm. and i would go with i would go with the medicine magic theory where the medicine is the first couple times where you're repairing your brain and maybe mm -hmm. you only, maybe only everybody's brain is different. Everyone thinks different. So the way your brain is going to be restructured through psychedelics is going to be different to everybody. Yeah. So I think that those first few times, even some big doses is going to be the repair mechanism. After mm -hmm. that becomes the integration. Like th that's when you can go a little bigger. You can go a little stronger when you've identified the shadow, when you've identified some of the terrain and the situation outside, then you become more comfortable. But yeah, I, I, I I think that maybe there's something to be said for, you know, people, it, it's not like it's, 
it's easy to do. If you're going into the psychedelic experience, you're not a little bit afraid, then I, I think you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Like there yeah. should be a little bit of fear in there because yeah, you, you're going to lose control. You're not going to be able to control your thoughts for a little bit. And for some people, I would scratch that. I'd say for most people, that's a very difficult thing to let go. You know, we're, we're so caught up in holding on to things. And that could be the reason why we go a little crazy is because we're holding on to things in the past. We're holding on to things in the future. We're holding on to unrealistic expectations. And so letting go may be the first part. And then the second, you know, getting later down the line, I think that that might be that might that might be the the actual neurogenesis that happens. Now, what do you guys what do you think about that, Ben? Well, <clears throat> I don't know. I think, you know, when I think back towards my first time, because I've been a pretty solo journey in all of this. Right. Um, and you know, in fact, all of pretty much my entire journey was relatively a solo journey. Um, you know, it was very few times that I met anybody else long down the path that, you know, I actually, you know, had a ceremony with or tripped with or did anything like that. Um, but, you know, I think we're treading in dangerous waters when you start to use words like churches. Um, you know, I think what happens is you know we have we have this propensity to radicalize things pretty damn quick it seems as humans and church is one of those things that's been easily radicalized you know pretty much throughout recorded history that you know as far as we're aware of anyway and and i think you know it's very easy to all of a sudden get somebody who you know is very fervent and then all of a sudden you end up with a few sycophants and then even if that's not your intention, you've kicked off something into that, into that zeit, into the zeitgeist of the world. Now, even if you don't facilitate that, they will find somebody who does. Um, and I, you know, I think it's a, I, I think it's a dangerous game. I think it, it is meant to be a self, you know, kind of a, a journey of the self. It's the hero's journey, but it's very much your one's ability to reflect you know, into the abyss and into that dark mirror and persevere and come out the other side. If you have somebody whispering suggestions in your ear along the way, I you know, if, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to just achieve some therapy, I think that could be beneficial. If you're trying to actually, I think we should probably delineate, you know, this is probably your medicine and your magic, right? So if you're talking therapy medicine, I think that is one thing. And I think if you're talking the magic, the path kind of enlightenment, I think that's an entirely different thing. So longabout way to say I agree. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, is there a difference between the medicine and the magic? Yeah, I think I mean, so. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I mean, for me, it started off as magic. I think they if, could if be, we're going to use those words, you know, then mm -hmm. and, that, and then and then it was medicine, like you know, down the road a little bit. Why, why was it magic when you started off? Well, I mean, when I so you know, I think we've talked a little bit about age here, you know, but um, you know, I was doing this stuff in the in the early 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 nineties, you know, is when I started using psychedelics, and it, it was like it was the party, you know, it was to you know have a different experience because we ran through all the other drugs. And so, you know, this was like, hey, psychedelics, let's try. And, um, you know, some of my friends started before I did and it wasn't long before I was on board. And then, you know, and then it was just like, it was just about having fun. But then, you know, it be, there became a point where it was like, 
yeah, it was cool. Like, you know, the, you know, the trip was fun and, you know, the hallucinations were great, but it was, you know, it became this thing where it was like the conversations that were on the other side of the peak and, and then starting to deal with life through the lens that I had been developing while using these psychedelics became the medicine, right? It became totally changed the way that I viewed the world, totally changed the way that I viewed myself, you know, and my friends and my family and everything else, you know, but at first it was just like, Hey, you know, let's have some fun. I think you're going to get a Venn diagram and you're going to have a little bit of overlap from the medicine and the magic and, you know, the, you know, just general experience in life kind of all in that Venn diagram. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It reminds me of like a kid who plays with a toy sword. Like, you know, you give a kid a toy sword and they're playing with it, but they're playing with it because they're training with it. It seems like the use of psychedelics at a young age is a sort of training with things. Like you're having fun with it. You're learning. And the more you do it, the more you realize how useful it is. Like in the, if I have a toy sword, I'm like, I'm like chopping my bookcase or chasing the cat, you know. But then as I get older, I'm like, dude, you know, I can flick around the butterfly knife like it's nothing. Or I can use it to peel an orange in a round. Or I can use it to throw at a bullseye. You know, the more you use anything, the more practice you have with something, the better you get with it. And the more you understand its use cases. So, And then another point I want to kind of bring up is when, when we think about magic, like, what would magic be to a pharaoh? What would magic to be a caveman? A ma- magic in the past, or a good definition, like technology can be magic, right? And it off- magic is often a word we use when we don't understand something. When we don't understand a technology, it's magic or it's God. So too might psychedelics be a technology. And it, sure. I want to I get your guys' opinion on this. I've been listening to a lot of people speak about psychedelics. And when I ask them, for for example, I was talking to this guy who was running this church, and I, I asked him to explain to me what it is about psychedelics that is changing the way he thinks. And he gave like this really elegant answer in layman's terms that was talking about the thought process and how he's able to perceive things in different ways that he never has before. In fact, he felt like he could make new connections that were always there but never made sense. And it was a really, he went on to explain it further in that way. And I thought to myself, what an amazing way for someone who's not a neuroscientist to explain neurogenesis. Like, how can that be? How can somebody who takes psilocybin or these psychedelics begin to explain exactly what's happening in the body without ever taking a science course? Like, that's a pretty amazing thing. Have you guys noticed that? I bet if you, has anybody else noticed that? Definitely. Um... I think uh, I read this book uh, which described the relation between Vipassana meditation and uh, science, right? And uh, so the practice is uh, Dhamma in Vipassana, right? And they say Dhamma is the inner science of the mind and uh, science is nothing but the external Dhamma we perceive, right? So if uh, what Buddha was doing was observing the internal sensations, and it was always responding to the external environment, right? So based on that interaction, he studied a lot of things that uh, you, you, you were saying neuroscientist. That's a 200, 300 year old term that we came up with, right? And we have a curriculum and we have the set of things people do. But most of the things back then was just open-ended and anyone was able to observe. They didn't need a degree to write something, right? It was just 
yeah this is what i'm observing the the distance between uh, like sun and earth or based on the shadows having an understanding i i can't get the details right but science science has always been there just the tools uh, have become more uh, refined and also defined so people know it just just the same way right like uh, i think magic or medicine it depends on the initial uh, situation we get into because with respect to psychedelics i feel like we are this ignorant bubble which is just operating autonomously and you know uh, and this hits you because with ignorance you have a lot of boundaries definitions labels and you might say this was a magic i was using it in a music setting and so on and one primary thing what psychedelic does is going to take out this place that is defining things so oh this could be anything right <laughs> uh this could be a medicine this could this could be a magic this could be anything hmm. and uh yeah so i feel like uh people can if they can observe and they can say things that that's magic because we don't understand where that is coming from that that thought or that ability that is uh it's not just talent that is observable in some people it is there within each of us right if only we stopped and listened to experiment with how it's done the observation yeah that's beautiful I, that that makes me it brings me to the conclusion that you know it seems to me that science and spirituality or religion have always been connected it's not until a few maybe 100 years ago or a few hundred years ago that they became so deeply separated maybe that's what do you think jason like you've had experience in the church being in it being out of it being in the psychedelic realm like what is your take on the on the connection between spirituality and religion i mean between psychedelics between science and religion <laughs> totally well I'll, so what i was thinking a lot about was the idea that there's the inner knowing and there's the outer knowing and i think through psychedelics you can begin to learn how the mind works you can begin to actually see the reality you can you know observe the universe and have this deep intuition of knowing and i would say that many of our ancient ancestors had that that a deep deep connection to a science if you want to call it that to technology and to spirituality because there was a, a shared oneness um and that's always been i think the perspective of the mystics if you're going to look at it you know of this deep understanding whether it's through astronomy and astrology whether it's through these other observable tools and you have intuition with it and then i think through modernity we said oh no the only way we can know is by by the the scientific method the only way we can know is through you know an outer perspective and so we began to perceive the universe from a, an outer perspective and trying to equate and really dividing and dividing and dividing like alan watts talks a lot about this has a a brilliant video of just this idea that you know what we've done is we just keep going deeper and deeper to the molecule like we separate every time we go deeper it's a separation and really we need to step back and and see it as both spiritual and science and play quit playing these games of division because i think at the end of the day they don't really serve us it feels um it feels like a that that separation a binary world when we truly are living in in a non-dualistic uh reality So, I don't know. Does no, that that's awesome. That makes <laughs> that tons resonate? of sense. 
It does make sense. I think, I think I've heard the metaphor. Like if you look at a microscope and you zoom into something, like you can see something smaller and smaller, but then you zoom in and then it breaks apart again. And you got to look zoom, you know, you look closer and closer. And there's that, there's that cycle of that. And I, I you know, as below, as above, so below, I, exactly. I can That's see it. how society is fragmenting that way. And if, if we can see it that way, then maybe that's what's happening now. Like I know we've talked about it before, but it seems as if we are pulling back like the tide from this world of specialization. You know, you all of a sudden there was this time where you had to go to school to be a scientist and then you wanted to be what kind of scientist? You want to be what kind of a doctor? You know, and there's just a smaller and smaller breakdown. And it's weird because the biggest, it seems to me like the biggest discoveries come from people who, who are not in the field. You know, maybe because they have a different understanding of, maybe they have the big picture. What do you think, Ben? Perspective, perspective, perspective. <laughs> um, I think, you know, in terms of the magic and spirituality and science, you know, science is just uh, labels that we've been, that we define of repeat observations, right? Things that we can repeatably observe over and over again. Uh, and get everybody else to agree with us that, look, you can see this too. Uh, in that sense, you know, magic has always been kind of losing a bit of its mystique to science and its process and the labeling and all of these things. But I think uh, what we are seeing is that kind of, you know, the reemergence of the combination of all of these things. You know, people are now starting to ask real questions. We're not, you know, people just aren't, you know, people are asking why, you know, why should, why should we listen to you? Why does this, why does this work? Why does, you know, does this still stand up in the world today? Um, and along that path, you know, we're seeing this massive explosion of psychedelics. We're seeing this, this mass movement. Of, I mean, look how fast um, marijuana got legalized in, in over half the United States practically. Um, now, Obviously, there's a lot of money incentive behind that. But at the same time, there is, you know, growing up in the 90s, you would, you know, or in the 80s and then into the 90s, you would never expect that to happen. It was, you know, they were throwing everybody in jail for just a little bit of weed. And then all of a sudden, fast forward 15, 20 years and, all, and it's ubiquitous. Uh, so I think we're seeing kind of this movement and I think, you know, when you're getting that psychoactive experience, when you're opening your mind, now we're, now people are, you know, putting those threads together and they're seeing that there isn't these lines of delineation between the magic, the religion, the spiritual, the medicine and all this stuff. There's overlap between all of them. Yes, they all have, you know, kind of separate paths, but they're all entwined amongst each other. Yeah. I heard a, like I think you brought this up a while back, Ben. You you had spoken about how psychedelics may help solve the mystery of the placebo. You know the idea that our beliefs about something can can have radical effects on our biology. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if just the way people are explaining psychedelics, like if you look, if you go on LinkedIn, if you go on Reddit, if you go on YouTube. Everyone's talking about psychedelics and spiritual experiences. Might it be just the fact that everyone is talking about psychedelics and a spiritual nature that is causing people to have spiritual experiences? What do you think, Ranga? I think, uh, I think the quote uh, that comes to my mind is that uh, we are not uh, 
human beings having spiritual experience we are spiritual being having human experience <laughs> right and um yeah i think that, that's that's the part uh, that comes to my mind when you say that and with respect to uh your think about everything happens in thought i got really crazy after my psychedelic trips to having this uh, thing how much of our illness is psychosomatic right and then that's when i came across that asthma was one of those things which i really thought was physical was purely psychosomatic right and uh, you don't need to have a puff you don't need to take in steroids to control it it's here right so likewise one of the research that started off in 1960s was is cancer psychosomatic right and i i have get this uh, deep intuition every time i'm on psychedelics that uh, it is on a cellular level it is there is a lot of reaction that is happening and right and cancer is just bunch of cells it doesn't matter bad cells or good cells it's, you know once they grow in number when they, once they become an you, know, you know uh it's like radicalization of our beliefs like church as you mentioned right uh it's it's something like that and uh, that kills us so are we able to stop reacting at that level right and uh, my partner was texting me she's seeing this i think and she was we we just had this topic of how neurogenesis might be working right and uh, neurons that fire together that wire together because so many uh, detachment happens during psychedelics so when you're sobering up you either choose to go back to your habitual pattern or now you know something is happening different in your head right you're not able to visualize it or anything it's more of a practical practice that develops over the course of time to be intuitive at that level of changing our um, way of thinking yeah i agree i i i, I mean go, go ahead paul yeah. what you got i mean i'm just kind of adding on to like the you know like the the magic and and the spiritualism of you know hallucinogens and you know i think a lot of it was like in my own experience was like like it was like a, it was really humanizing for me it like brought me back to what i would say was like a more like i don't know not really primitive but um you know like an early form of of myself before like you know the western world grabbed a hold of me when i started school and started changing and forming me into a person that was detached from the earth and so when i started using these substances what happened was is i realized that there was magic all around me like the flower flowers on a plant you know the the structure of leaves you know the 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 tide coming in and and going out you know the stars it was all it would have always been magic around me i just never saw it that way you know it was always kind of felt like i was detached from the planet and um you know so then that was a real spiritual you know uh realization for me you know um being able to see those things for what they for what they were and not for you know what i was i was taught with it you know what i was taught that they were yeah i'm curious what do you do you think that like you know it seems that the psychedelic substance has the ability to open us up to what is possible for us to see the reality and the beauty that is all around us and it kind of like it has an opening property to it and on the flip side it seems like ssri's have a narrowing property to it like if you think of 
modafinil or or uh, you know all these ADHD medicines. It kind of seems like they have a narrow like they're there to help you focus. But what is focus? Focus is narrowing down your ability to see the big picture. You're going to focus in on something. You're going to look at the small things. And if the drugs we've been taking allow us to have more focus, doesn't it also mean that it's narrowing our view? What do you guys think? I don't really know anything about those those drugs. You know, I mean, I don't like, you know, I, one of my kids is pretty hyper and, and, you know, his principal was like, oh, maybe he's like, you know, ADD or something or whatever. And I kind of flipped out. But, um, you know, I, I don't I don't even look at those types of things. And if anybody ever suggested that I need to put my kids on those types of drugs, I would, you know, tell them to go go for a walk or something. You know, I think you might need to put one of your kids on those drugs. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I'm just kidding, damn it. So I was watching this uh, episode of Gaber Made with uh, Joe Rogan, right? And he was uh, saying about ADHD, where um, many experts believe that it is physical. It is not. So what's happening with ADHD is pretty much this person is zoning out, right? And you, when you are faced with the stressful situations, you have either an option as a fight or flight. Right, as a very young kid, you know, uh, when you're completely dependent on your parents and the parents are not helping to reduce stress, or in a very um, environment, stressful environment where the parents are all fighting or any kind of stressful situation, right? The only option the kid has to is to zone out, right? Ten years later, that becomes a observable habit pattern, which is then labeled as ADHD. But it, it was nice seeing that video because. Um, uh, there is a report that says that before ADHD became a label, uh, I think after it became a label, the case is just shot by like, um, you know, it, it wasn't there. Before people used to observe that in kids with maybe extreme hyper, right? And uh, now it, when the label is introduced, the standard goes less. It's like anything can, can be classified kind of stuff. It's like I have a copy of the DSM-5. I like to look through it sometimes just to see all the new diseases. Hmm. And like <laughs> I have there's like gender dysphoria is like that used to be a disease, but now it's not a disease. It's weird how we have these different labels and those labels instead they like they create the labels create the disease. You know what I mean? It's like here's this thing, you probably have it. And then people are happy to put themselves in that container. Yeah, I do have that. That's me. You're right. You're describing me. It's like they're looking for an identity. And here's a bunch of doctors getting together, labeling people. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's, it's right in line with the placebo effect as well. Bingo. You Same know, with astrology. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, as, as you're sitting here and focusing on that, and then, all, you know, they call it hypochondria in, in medical parlance, right? But it's you're enacting the same mechanisms at the physical level that you know are responsible for the placebo slash nocebo effect and you're invoking those when you're you know when you're listening to those doctors who label it you're you're listening to those commercials on the television you know is this you and you know that so i think uh, you know a lot of it comes into that kind of uh, dichotomy yeah you know as we're talking about like the psychedelic space let's Let's like shift gears for a minute and talk about this idea of creating. Like, what do you guys think about this idea? Like, let's. What if we 
if I know Paul looked up some papers, like there's so many talented people in this space and I'm talking to a bunch of them right now, but I think that there's people we could really help out. Like this girl, Abigail, that I was talking about or anybody who's publishing a paper or people that any of us find interesting. Like if we brought them on this show on a Sunday and each one of us, I think we all come from some different backgrounds. I think we could put together content worth listening to that people would get excited about and it would serve multiple purposes. It would help all of us get some questions answered. We like talking about it. It would help the guests that came here get their whatever message they wanted out, be it a paper or a, um, you know, uh, something they're starting. And then from, from after the Sunday show, then that individual guest could come on each one of our individual shows. I think that would help amplify the system. I, I know Paul was worried about it being more of an echo chamber, but Paul, do you think it would really be an echo chamber? You think everyone would be talking the same stuff? What, like, what's your contention with it? <laughs> um, I mean, I just think, I don't know, you know, after I went on to that, um, Abigail's, you know, I have I have a I have a ResearchGate account because I've authored paper, nice um, on, you know, in the scientific community on honeybees, and um, so I, I looked her up, and she had a couple. She's got two published, one co-published, one on her own, and I started reading them, and and it's and it, they seemed like, you know, like she might have something interesting to say about, you know, some of these things, um, but. I guess when you when we were talking about doing this on the chat, I started thinking about like there's what she co-authored isn't really a lot different than what a lot of other people are out there doing already. Um, and so, you know, I just I, I have a problem with like people who are trying to like drive messages, you know, that's the main reason why I push back on like coaching and and you know, shamanism, like that. I don't have a problem with shamans, I guess, really. But, um, you know, I just, you know, I, I kind of think it's like, it's one of those things, like when I was talking about you know, like vegetarianism and veganism and getting hijacked, you know, or like, you know, or like, you know, like Yoganandis are now like Western people and, and, you know, and Buddhists are, you know, are, or, you know, are, you know, Western people and, and not that I have any problems with any of that. It's just, I just see kind of a, like a commercialization and, uh, you know, and, and like a steering of like, you know, like this is the way we need to go. These are the ways that we need to be thinking about things. It's like, you know, when Jason was talking earlier about, you know, using psychedelics and now being able to see how the mind works. I've never experienced that, you know, like I've never seen how my mind works on psychedelics. I mean, it opened up to me, you know, possibilities. But there was never like, oh, now I know how my mind works. And it's, you know, it's kind of sometimes it's stuff like that. That's like, you know, gets like, hey, this is what I'm teaching people. This is different. This is separate. Come to me. Give me cash or, you know what I mean? Do something for me and I'll help you out. And, you know, I'm kind of like I'm not into structure, really. Well, and that's where I think the danger of calling things church comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, when you start to have those those conglomerations or congregations or whatever, what have you, uh, then you end up in those positions where now you have somebody who, you know, just as humans, you get that natural little kick when everybody's watching you and you're saying something, right? And then, you know, for a lot of people, it seems to turn from a little, oh, that was a nice feeling to, oh, you know, I, I'm the Messiah. 
and you know that there it seems to be a pretty quick ramp for a lot of people throughout you know you know even in modern times and i think you add psychedelics to that equation and that becomes you know supercharged uh it's so yeah i, I you know i think there's inherent danger when you start placing these types of labels on things um so i, I really agree with you paul you know i, yeah, I mean i don't i don't I don't really think like and Jason. I wasn't trying to pick on you at all. Oh no, I, I, I don't agree. I, I don't know anything about like you know like you know like I visited your website, but I don't you know I don't have any experience in what you're what you're doing. Um, but you know, at the same time, you know, I you know, I think people are going to get involved in this stuff at the wrong times of their lives, and maybe it's those people that need, you know, coaching or help or something, you know, and it just seems like. You know, as a culture right now, there's just like this push, you know, at least socially, you know, for the use of these medicines and and to, you know, like you got to go out and have one of these experiences or you are like, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to lose a thousand followers on Instagram. You know what I mean? So, you know, people may not be prepared. And I think if one thing that coaching could do is is like actually, you know, kind of go through the process with somebody just to make sure. Because like I said, you know, I, when I started doing this stuff, like my friends had been doing it for a little while and I was, I was apprehensive, you know what I mean? I was scared. And, and then it was just like something clicked and there was a moment. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it. You know, let's do it. But no one, none of my friends ever forced me to. And so I think when, when you, when you are going to go down this, this path to start, you know, using psychedelics, that that kind of stuff could be valuable talking to people and trying to get a better understanding on whether or not you are ready for it. But during the process itself, I don't think there should be any coaching around. But I mean, that's just me. I fully agree, Paul. In fact, I think coaching is focused on preparation, integration and cultivation, not the experience. Um, and, and a lot of people do need to be told if they're ready or not. And if they're not, you know, what is what is ready look like? And again, I can't define that for anyone, uh, but I can tell them if they're not ready, <laughs> you know, like, and be like, ah, I don't think this is like, I, I don't think you're there yet. I think you might need to go do some other work first um, and, and then be able to kind of come to this. But that's again, just my, if you feel called to it, do it. That's honestly, you yeah, know, right. individual choice, I think is the most important thing about this is Absolutely. your choice. And if you want to do it, do it. Um, and it will do to you whatever it needs to do to you, <laughs> you know, it's not going to kill you. So like, on no, some you're level, proof of that. Yeah. Right. It's not going to kill it. All of us are, <laughs> we're all here. We're all breathing. It hasn't killed well, us yet. Your story was pretty like, you know, yeah, you, like, you, you it, told the story, Jason, of like, <laughs> you know, like if that didn't get any, you know, if that didn't, you know, put an end to me, then nothing will. Yeah. Like, and you know? so <laughs> on some levels, I feel like I, I am hesitant. I think it, kind of the church thing, too, I think is a is a loophole because of the legalities. And so they're calling things a church. And, you know, it's interesting in Colorado, we got Prop 122 coming up, which would decriminalize and create these healing centers um, and I have mixed feelings about it because, you know, these like, who's the money, like, where's the money, who's the money behind the healing centers, who's the agenda behind the healing centers, who's like, someone has an agenda. And so that to me is, again, I, I get nervous about that. 
Now, obviously, decriminalization would be great because then all of a sudden you're start seeing these churches disappear. They're not going to call themselves churches anymore. They're going to, you know, right. they're going to call them what they really are. So I think it's a little bit of a like kind of a, a misnomer on some levels, but it's happening across. You know, you see ayahuasca churches popping up all over the place. You see, you know, other types of spiritual experiences really being shaped around these 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 uh, plants. So I don't know. It's interesting. You know, but I'm George, like back to what yeah. you were saying about having guests that are like in the scientific community that have, you know, degrees, you know, PhDs or whatever, masters in, in you know, in, in whatever field that are using, you know, psychedelics or, you know, or are, you know, doing research with psychedelics. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, someone like that could come on to this program and, um, and it, and it might be interesting, you know, I guess it depends on, you know, how prepared we all are really. Yeah. I'm not opposed to having anybody on. I want to, you know what though? Let me, like, as you guys were talking, I thought about this. I think maybe all of us are operating under the old paradigm of what a church is. And if you, if you just stand back for a minute, I think you can see the transition or the translation of church changing right in front of us. Like, I think that like you just said, look at all these churches popping up. You know, imagine what this country, like it, it used to, remember Unipero Cerro, like walked all the way up and planted all these missions up the West Coast. Like it used to be that the church would go and plant churches to build communities. And there was all these churches popping up. But in a weird sort of way, we're seeing the resurgence of spirituality under the name of the church. Like I, I talked to this guy who's building a church, but it's not really the church in the sense that there's a pastor that stands up and preaches to everybody. Jason came from a church. And like, I think, I think what psychedelics is doing is it is deconstructing the idea of the church as we know it. And it's a, it's almost like a decentralization of medicine in a way, like the same way psychedelics is deconstructing the church. It's deconstructing medicine. And in the same vein, it is caught. It's the it's the it's the wholeness coming together from the the idea of um, like God damn it! I just said this. what is that word when you get smaller and smaller and smaller? You become specialized. So the same way we're moving away from specialization, we are moving away from medicine. We are moving away from the church, and I, I think that you're seeing the church dissolve from the top down and being built from the bottom up. Because if you look at all, the consensus between all of us is like, yeah, you should be, everyone should be able to do psychedelics on their own. No one is advocating that they can't do it on their own unless maybe they have some issues that they shouldn't do it on their own. But all of us here have this consensus of like, yeah, I think it, I think it, there's a big part of it that's an individual journey. And I think that the, that I see this growing space in the Christian churches of people turning towards psychedelics. I think that you're seeing the, the dissolution of the structure of the church only to be built back from the bottom up. And you're seeing these retreats happen. And I think that maybe the people that are in the church are people that need that structure. And it's slowly, the pyramid is slowly being built from the bottom. Like it's being disintegrated a little bit. Is that, does that kind of make sense? You see what I'm saying? Like the, the idea of church, the definition of church is changing in real time all around us. Does that kind of make sense? I, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I think it's also important to kind of have the perspective that a lot of the reason we're seeing these these 
things pop up as church is what Jason mentions, the legal right. perspective on this. Um, you know, if, if all of a sudden it was legal to just have an ayahuasca ceremony in the middle of the desert whenever you wanted, people wouldn't call it churches. They would call it all sorts of different funny names. A party. Um, a party, right? <laughs> for, for one, for one. Yeah, Burning Man, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we touched on this in, in prior episodes is that there's, especially in the modern age with technology, there's definitely seemed to be kind of a lack of spiritualness in the world, whether that be in the relative churches, just out in the daily, the day-to-day operations of things. And, you know, we, we noted that we see a lot of the, that kind of that void being filled by all sorts of different causes and movements these days. And I think this is an, an extrapolation of that. I think a lot of people are now looking around and asking and, you know, and now getting a sense that, Hey, there isn't actually spiritual here. This is a church. I go to this thing. It's yeah, you could, there's some community and whatnot, but the spiritual side of it isn't here. Where's that spiritual side of things? And I think that's why we're, we are seeing a lot of movement towards psychedelics people are trying to reattach with that spiritual side of things. And I think the moniker of church is an easy moniker from a legal perspective to make it, make that transition. Hey, think, hey Jason, Jason, yeah. do you think that psychedelics are a threat to the structure of church? I think psychedelics are a threat to all structure <laughs> to your point. <laughs> like I'd agree. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, and, and so I think, yeah, like you, if you want to look at the traditional context of church, and again, that can mean a, a bunch of different things, right? I, mean, I, I was the other day, I was talking to friends, you know, there's over 30,000 sects of Christianity, 30,000 different groupings of people that say the way we do it is better than the way you do it. So whatever that is, right, that means there's all sorts of ways to think about church and like this thing. But, but the, the basic premise is that someone, pastor, clergy, whatever term you want to apply to it, has more information about God than you do. And so, therefore, you need to come in and sit down and submit yourself to that, that thing. And that thing is then going to connect you to the other thing. And then, you know, that's how you build the structure. And I think, you know, once, you, once people start to realize that they don't need that pastor or that clergyman to connect them to God and they can directly connect to the divine or spirituality or whatever we want to call it, then I think its current structures will break down. I do think there will be a resurgence of people realizing that there's something about wisdom and there's something about those that, that hold it and that we can all learn things from wise teachers, but the wise teacher doesn't have a better connection to the divine than me. They just might be sitting around a different fire of the universe and have a perspective that I can take and add to my fire that'll help me understand this thing called consciousness, really, right? So yeah, I think it's gonna I think it'll break down. But I think we're we're at such a breakdown of systems right now across the, the world. We're seeing all these significant systems be tested and under a lot of pressure. And the the church, especially in North America, is under the same thing and it's all going to break and in a domino fashion in my opinion so you have people that are churchgoers that are starting to you know uh, experiment with psychedelics and then you know and then of course at some point they're going to start you know questions are going to start entering their mind you know in relation to like their experiences and how they are starting to see the world in a different way 
don't you think like those some of those people are going to be going to their you know their pastors or you know you know their rabbis or whatever to go and seek answers yeah totally i think that's going to begin i had i had a uh, a priest um come to me for some integration work um and it was really interesting he was in the orthodox tradition and he was uh, a monk and lived in alaska um and reached out to me and it was really interesting we had several sessions but unfortunately um right before he was getting ready to have a, you know an experience that i wasn't a part of and then we would talk about integration afterwards his father whatever the the guy above him gave him feedback that this was not permissible um and he had to stop and he had done it maybe two or three times and was just kind of continuing to go deeper so yeah i think it's gonna it's really interesting and, and a, so, the fascinating thing so, is like a nun had told him about it so this nun was like you got to try this stuff <laughs> and so and it you know but the nun was in croatia like again this thing is so much bigger than i think we could ever imagine when, when we think about it. what were you say paul so what does it go from like you know his you know person who's advising him is telling him that this is not permissible to finally you know like anything else when you know the church begins to see like oh this is growing and the and the message goes you know to the to the priest that this is goes from you know the message is this is not permissible to this is how you're going to respond from now on i don't know like um it'll i think again it depends on which sect you talk about within this thing called you know the christianity from that perspective right like I think certain things will go faster. I think, you know, Orthodox, um, um, Greek, or, um, Eastern Orthodox, they've been doing the same thing for about 2000 years. So I don't see them changing any, anytime soon. Like they're very, very true to their tradition. Yeah, cool. I don't know. But I think there'll be an evolution. I think there's, I think there's gonna be a, to, to, to George's point, I think there's gonna be a new church, quote unquote something will emerge from this death right i mean it's the cycle it's what you see and frankly this church has gone through this evolution many times um i think you know we gotta just very 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 generally got to remember you know this christian thing was 300 years before it's formalized in any way and the people came around they're like oh let's formalize this shit because we can control there's a lot of power with this so then they formalize it, you know, and they, they take it over as the, the state, if you will, the Rome, the Romans embrace it. And then, you know, a couple more hundred years go by and this thing around the Bible comes around and these people say it's better. These people disagree. So you have a schism. So you got the Eastern Orthodox Church now and then you got the Roman Catholic Orthodox Church and their ecosystems of power. And then fast forward another thousand years and you get this dude, you know, Martin Luther coming along and being like, fuck you guys. We should be able to read the Bible. We can now get access to it because of the Gutenberg press and he not, like 95 thesis against the door and is like, this shit's available to everyone. And then Protestantism basically happens. Right. And then it gets to the states and then freaking evangelicalism begins to happen. like this church is always evolving people like it's never been a consistent thing. And there's the next evolution that's going to happen. Well, I mean, in a way, the five of us are a church right here. Right. I mean, what's We're brought us together is that in just, his name, you will experience his power. Well, I mean, I'm not talking about that thing. I'm know? joking, man. I'm joking. I'm talking about like, you know, we're, we're all here because we've shared similar life experience. Exactly. Right? Even though we're all, you know, different people. But, you know, um, and then so 
like I, I can see like organiz not really an organization, but people coming together on shared similar life experiences that revolve around psychedelics for sure. You know, but then how do you stop that from becoming divisive, you know, like between other groups, other religions, you know what I mean? Like, you know, people who don't have this type of experience, because it seems like, you know, history has proven that that's what's going to happen next. I think you simply don't do anything about it. I think this is a medicine much more powerful. And uh, I, I, with our limited minds, we can't even do anything with it. Our systems might be something that are intellectual design, but uh, the medicines are more intuitively designed and it's, it's pure consciousness at that part. And it's not a game the ego will understand, neither know how to play. So I think uh, that's where we, we would end as humans trying to control things and let go. That would so, be a point of collectively, you know, get crossing over that. But yeah, Jason. So try this one on. I'm curious what you guys think about this. If we, we were talking about earlier that this stuff is a technology, right? We talked about that it holds an intelligence. At some point, do we just step back and actually trust that this, this intelligence will evolve us the way that it needs to evolve without being attached to thinking that it's got to look a specific way? Because if we go at the stone ape theory, at some point, the evolution took place. They started to talk. Change happened. The technology was in control. The intelligence was in more control than the than the users. So at some point, do we just hold? Do we trust that this thing that there's a bigger thing happening than we'll ever understand? Yes, I think at least personally from my experience, I let go of all the desire to control my life, and that alone, I would try to expand to every other individual. And I think that's how it happens. Just that intelligence is something that is going to take care of everything. It's always been there. It is pre-existence, right? It's the unmanifested. That's what I believe. So. It's taking care of everything, and uh, yeah, we can let go happily. Hmm. Like, how do I, like, I trust it? I trust it, but I mean, that doesn't mean that everybody else will, right? Well, I like. I heard a story one time. It's like this: like, uh, have you ever driven down like a crazy windy mountain road, and it's raining? And the only thing that's like you're in your car and the only thing that separates you from the other lane is like these divided little lines, right? Like there's a real chance you can come around a blind curve and some car could hit you like at any point in time, right? So if you know that there's a really good chance that someone could be drunk driving and someone could just come across that little yellow line and kill you, what gives you the courage to get in the car every day? You just have to trust, right? You have to trust that no one's going to come in the other lane and kill you. How do you go outside every day and know that you're not going to be the victim of a violent shooting? You just got to trust. Well, How do you know that your wife is not going to go sleep with somebody else? You got to trust. Like, I think that's the well, very foundation of everything, right? Like, you just got to trust. But look, look at us. Well, like, how are we all together right now? Is it like, is it is it just some coincidence that all of us share like a lot of passions about things? Is it just coincidence that we're coming together and while we have some differing opinions like we all want to talk to each other like like clearly in my opinion there's something that is the same way that the vine outside on my palm tree produces a flower that opens up at a 45 degree angle on july 27th is the same way that we're coming together like we're growing together the same way that a tree grows leaves the same way that an apple tree grows apples 
so too are we building something and not even knowing what our final destination is. But yeah, I think you have to trust. And once you begin not trusting, that's when you begin losing your way. That's when you begin getting foggy and second guessing and having anxiety and being trapped in the past and having depression or having anxiety. If you just believe, like if you know and you work towards this thing that you feel, you're going in the right direction. So I, I would answer yes, there is an intelligence and you're tapping into it when you believe in yourself. Even when no one else believes in you, that's when you have to believe in yourself the most. I would agree with you, Jason. I, I, that's what I think. There are no coincidences. Yeah, a coincidence is what you have when you apply a bad theory. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's a coincidence. Maybe you, have a, maybe you don't have all the facts. <laughs> yeah. Still not a coincidence. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's perceived. Yes. That way. Yeah. <laughs> Objectively, that is just simple cause and effect. So if that's the case, then I feel like when we have these conversations about what's happening in the psychedelic space, there's almost this like, do I trust other individuals who are working with this same thing to be working towards the higher good, even if I don't understand it or I disagree with it or they're doing a church or right. It's like if I trust me and I can we can trust a collective here. Can I trust others? That's, that's, I don't know. That's sometimes a hard question to, to think about. But I think as George said about the traffic, right, we trust the other people too when we take our car to drive, right? It has become our, we don't think about driving when we go driving. It has become a natural aspect if most of us are driving for so long. But each second there is a risk involved, right? Any, anyone can make a stupid decision, but the trust is there. And some of it comes from the belief that people follow rules because I don't think in India people follow rules and I don't have that much trust and I I'm telling you, I can't drive in India now. Mm. I will suck at it. I'll get killed or I'll kill someone in minutes. So, yeah, it's about you want to add these flexible uh, rules, a ground to begin begin the journey. It shouldn't be limiting, yet it should be providing the structure on which the collective experience and growth can happen. Yeah, well put, Ranga. I, yeah, well said, Ranga. I think there's something to be said about motivation, right? Mm -hmm. And understanding the motivation, I think we have to step back and reflect upon society. Uh, and typically the grand motivator in society is monetary, you know, instruments. Um, when we're talking about like the trust of, you know, getting out and going driving, there's, there's a risk and reward factor there. Um, and, you know, the reward is we're obligated to actually go do this, you know, because we have jobs, we have needs, we have grocery stores that have to happen. So we're willing to assume the risk. Uh, and mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I think, you know, when we're, we're looking at this, I think there's a few more perspectives that do shed some light on this as well. I had, a, I had another point, but I forgot it. So mm, I love that. Can I just... Uh, pitch in this part where you said about money, right? I think that whole aspect will change with the collective evolution that's happening at the conscious level because money is nothing but the cash we carry. It's a promise to pay because of our lack of trust. We need to give a piece of paper right now that's collectively understood as, you know, some, it has a real point to it, but it doesn't exist. It's a collective thing we carry in our head, but it's just a promise to pay, right? And it's interchangeable. Right. Barter is much more, I would say, based on what I understand, it's much more difficult to transact in some ways. But I guess with psychedelics and lessing of our desires, I think we could go visit, revisit barter one more time. 
when humans are population reduces i guess i you know i don't in terms of the barter system i think i think it's probably better to classify everything in like the free market system so i think without the free market we really don't have society that's kind of foundational to what we have you know the growth supply chains that allows you know us the transfer of information uh the extraction of resources and onward and onward um so yeah i forgot my point again damn it <laughs> it's interesting are you, are you drinking beer ben no i'm not that's my problem oh, that's the problem yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm tired i went for a long run today and i'm just exhausted <laughs> <laughs> You know, Ranga and I were talking a little bit earlier via text message, and he had some interesting ideas about models, unconscious bias, and self-fulfilling prophecy. What, what do you want to share with us, Ranga, about about that? I think that's what we've been talking about for so long. <laughs> I think we just lab didn't label the conversation. If you see it's true. what structure or system we are working on, those are the models we use, and uh, why we are doing it a particular way, and people. Uh, restricting other people to not consume or participate in this ceremony that there is a lot of unconscious bias right deciding without knowing why we are deciding uh, to not participate in a psychedelic trip right and uh, and most of the things uh, i feel like the chicken egg scenario which came first in evolution i don't need to know i just i can the what the psychedelics does is give you the power to decide whatever you want so you make the first move with the world or it's like a loop you create if you're not aware of the loop whatever you're afraid of will fulfill itself right <laughs> i just use you said those three words and i had to give something yeah. i just felt for like each of them. for each of them right well uh, done but i think that's uh, that's what i'm every day thinking about each time i get frustrated right so what model was i using because i'm i'm definitely incorporating something which says i need i'm not welcoming something in from the situation that is happening right now so what model and that goes along with the bias that i carry right this is causing i'm i'm deciding i'm going to be angry at a subconscious level so when i get frustrated i am able to look at the subconscious level and see okay this is what i'm doing and it's not always easy or straightforward you do a lot of fourth and back right and uh, i think uh, you're when i joined the podcast you were benjamin was saying about the radicalization and i think I, that just happens because this consciousness is exploring right and it seems uh, the analogy that comes to my mind is like this pendulum right there is it just the whole act of it is to pass through the center so it's going to go to the extreme and come back and it's the journey of it so that happens with our collective ideas right we go too much with something right and um, for example it even happened with my uh, exploration in drugs or stuff because i was you know kept tight because of the traditions and culture back in india and when i was let out yeah i got radically so i went to the other extreme where <laughs> i tried without fear not not with trying part it's like oh i get to try so i'm just going to get lost in this kind of right and that's going to happen like a girl in catholic school <laughs> <laughs> Let me let me ask you this. Like so when we talk about models and psychedelics, like I I think we all share some similar foundations and I'm curious if our models going forward are the same future. 
So, Jason, what, like, if you were to look into your crystal ball, how do you see, like, if you were just spitballing and, and working on the models that you've seen in your experiences, how do you see the world of psychedelics shaking out over the next 10 years? So, actually, more often than not, I see a darker path. Um, and I see one where we continue to explore with these chemicals and we discover one, you know, that, that is either synthesized that science has created that is able to, um, create, um, an experience or a healing or a medicine that basically people can control. Um, you know, you're talking about monetary being the, the main driver. I think behind that is actually power, like real power. And I think why we're seeing a little bit of a rise of what's happening is because those that are in power are like, okay, great. Yeah, you can say now it's going to heal PTSD and anxiety and depression and mental health. We realize society is at a breaking point right now. So we're going to go ahead and give away a little bit of this power. But behind that is really as things get further uh, developed around, you know, AI, virtual reality, creating these technological spaces that we can drop into that that paired with a psychedelic experience, all of a sudden begins to feel like you really are living in a virtual reality, right? I mean, think about like, if that's really the, the tool that allows you to drop in to an experience that's unlike anything you've ever felt, that would be pretty freaking sellable and a lot of power and a lot of influence and a lot of our minds could be be kind of subjected to that. So I don't know. I, I don't unfortunately trust enough of the human race, <laughs> enough of, of the people that are out there that that this could end up. And, and again, that's a pretty dark perspective. But like that's one like I sat in. I was at South by Southwest in Austin this last year, and it was the first time they had a psychedelic track. And I was hanging out with some people that were talking about some pretty gnarly stuff like there's there's some, yeah, there's, there's that underbelly. And it was kind of, kind of turned me off a little bit. I'm like, that's not, that's not the, 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 the magic I've experienced or what the, the part of the realm I want to play with. But I don't know. That's the one that kind of, I think is where I think it, it could be an interesting path. What kind of dark stuff were they sharing? Just um, the, so the amount of money that was getting funded to, to go after and start researching new chemicals. I mean, like, a lot of money and there are a handful of people that are really driving it and again that centralized like power like there's there's a lot of control that could be be given um and we and, and we're you know already on a path of wanting to give up control as a society right like that's just very much uh, the personal individual uh you know authority is getting more and more taken away so all of a sudden, if they can, they can normalize the psychedelic thing the way that it has been, I could see it shifting to, yeah, that. So just that. And then also, yeah, virtual reality, the merging of virtual reality and psychedelics. Like that was a, a, a really important conversation. Yeah. I think uh, given that, you know, I'm brown colored and if let's say 200 years back, I was born in some caste, right? My caste uh, in India, right? My life would have been just so narrowed. Coming from that, I have this opportunity, right? Like to be able to speak about whatever, right? For me, it's that change, right? So for me, future seems bright because of the immediate mm -hmm. bad things that has happened. And I think it goes up and down um, more, more like in a cycle, right? So things are going to be um, really bad. 
what's this uh, line that i uh, wanted to say uh, strong times create uh, weak people weak people create tough times tough times create strong people strong people create easy times right and uh, it it goes like that and we see how much we want to see and uh, there is always all possibilities right uh, it could be as dark as it can get but again it just becomes a new beginning for some other species mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> yeah yeah ben what do you think are we are we headed for some dark times like what what do you see on the horizon for the world of psychedelics and the world in general well i think i think we are heading for some dark times unfortunately um yeah, you know, I kind of, I had an experience a long time ago, and I've had a couple uh, kind of ideas about this. In fact, I, my my journal this morning was all about how I, my whole path and all of this. Um, but being able to, you know, kind of see future events based upon what's happening in the now and, you know, being able to kind of, what I call read the wind, which uh, what Ronga was referring to as we first started this podcast um i don't i see i don't see us getting too far past 2026 without some pretty massive consequences and calamity um i also see on the other side of that that there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of hope but i think we're going through probably a pretty dark time before we get to see that sunshine again just it's it's the cocooning which we need it. Don't be afraid of the cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems that you know, as I'm sitting here looking at my library, it seems like a lot of the best literature was written in dark times. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. You know what I mean? Like there's all this that's like really when that's really when people begin to show who they are they say circumstances don't make a man they reveal them and a lot of times we don't even know who we are until we're faced with a tragedy that where we have to make a choice because when you're comfortable you know you don't really have to make too many sacrifices and sometimes i think that maybe that is what the psychedelic resurgence is doing right now is preparing people for some times that could be difficult you know i when i look at you know, I, I've been talking a lot about this book, The Island, that was written by um, uh, Aldous Huxley. You know, and it was written 60 years ago. And in that book, he's talking about people using mushrooms. And, if, you know, like it seems to me like maybe I think there's a lot of evidence to support that psychedelics have been used in the mystery schools or in churches mm-hmm. for people to come up with different ideas for a long time. And it's kind of been something that's been withheld from the public. Know, not not completely exiled like you could find it out on your own if you know what you're looking for but i think that these types of drugs have been used throughout history to help people garnish change and create change and for all i know like there could be other drugs out there that people are using that enhance your intelligence even more like if you look at there was a few years ago there was a big boom in nootropics like paracetam phenylparacetam and tnftine and all these drugs that have existed for i don't even know they existed for like 30 or 40 years like and if and like jason was saying there's tons of medical advancements that's not really out there for everybody like think about like rogan like that guy takes like 40 different things and how many people in his circle are just taking the needle where they're getting like um you know testosterone or hgh and 
I can I take I take HGH in like a powder form, and I can totally feel a difference in the way I think and how I look at the world in a more positive bent. Like, what happens if those people stop taking that drug? They're gonna um, age immediately. There's all kinds of technologies. Like Peter Thiel has a company where the, the company is based on on blood, and they did these tests in mice where they took the blood from young mice and injected it into old mice, and those old mice began acting like young mice. And the young mice, they put the old blood in, and they began acting, acting all, you know, all jacked up. If you look at Ray Kurzweil, that guy goes and gets his blood clean like twice a week. That guy looks, that guy doesn't look his age, you know. And then, so Peter Thiel started a company where he'll have young men come in and have get their blood drawn, and then he'll take it. And in a weird sort of way, isn't that like a vampire? Like, is, yeah. in a weird sort of way, like, aren't isn't that the story of a vampire from a thousand years ago? Like. You know, it, it's just, it's weird to think about these technologies, like, you know, Soma and vampires, mushrooms and this new thing. Like, you know, it, it just, it blows my mind to think what is already in front of us that we don't know about. I, I would venture to say that there's tons of drugs out there that make people younger, that make people smarter, that make people more agile. You know, a lot of the work they're doing with Alzheimer's are drugs to make you cognitively stronger. You know, that, that's that's kind of what they're researching. And if you want to take it even one step deeper, like look at the medical experimentation that's going on right now in front of us. Just wide open, friction might as well be like, it might as well be Mangala out there doing experiments. And it's accepted. Like, hey, take your kid down here. Try out this thing, man. Hey, go down there. We're going to try it. We're going to put some graphene in here and see what happens. Can you get the signal now, you know? Like there's wide open experimentation and not enough people are talking about it, man. Yeah. Well, that was one of my, my first remarks when it all went down. They're like, Oh, by the way, we got this new vaccine with this new technology. And I, and I was like, wait a second, that was pretty quick. And then, you know, you heard about the immunity for the, the pharmaceutical companies. Cause you know, they're, they're doing all the work to roll it out so fast and all these other things. And then the billions of people that they plan to give it to. And I was like, wait a second. We're doing a mass experiment on the human population, and nobody's talking about that. <laughs> I know. All right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is it, a pretty wild thing. It's it, it, unprecedented as far as I'm aware of. That's for sure. Well, like, think, are you? Sorry. Go ahead, Jason. What do you got? Well, I was just gonna say. I think there's the the reality is whatever shift is going to happen. And, and I agree. I think, you know, something that we're going to see happen in the next several years, some, some pretty significant structures falling, and that's going to be difficult. But those of us that have, that have been on the path that, that have been going through an awakening that have been tapping into, like, I really believe that, that we're going to be able to weather this by stepping into that inner authority that, that has been awoken through these medicines or these magic or whatever side of it is that we're on. And that we're going to be able to to help be that that part that ushers the new reality forward. Um, but I think there's also going to be a lot of people that are lost in the darkness, and they're going to like it's going to be it's going to be difficult. But I think that's the that's the hope that I have, and that's actually where it's like I actually can look ahead and be like, all right, I'm ready for this. Like, let's do this. Like, yeah, it's going to friggin' suck, but it'll be really interesting to watch something new get built like that's going to happen in our lifetime something new is going to emerge and we're going to see oh, that sorry. happen in the next 20 to 30 years like think about that journey like 30 years from now we're like the old shamans being like hey bitches you want to know like we'll help you on some level right like 
we went through that. We we evolved, and we're gonna bring that like bring that forward, and that's exciting, honestly, to me. At the end of the day, to think about. It's interesting. It's almost like you have to put on the armor of God. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, or, I see it. What do you think? What I was gonna say, or start integrating mushrooms every day to figure out what that armor actually looks like. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the armor of mycelium that maybe you know, like us growing together. I, I, I almost see, I think it might even happen sooner. I almost see it like Generation X as a bridge between the boomers and then the younger generation. Like there's such a divide between those two groups. And it's like Generation X is like the last generation to not to know what it's like to not have the internet. It's like the last generation to like, you know, have the telephone where you couldn't take it outside with you, you know, and to not be connected. So I think that there's a responsibility as a bridge there. But yeah, I, I do see something being built, and I, I think we're kind of the foundation of that building. And maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe we are the antidote to the darkness that's coming our way. You know, I on some level, when I look at the experimentation, like I, like I saw this really interesting um, panel from like the Milken Institute, and it was all these scientists, and they were talking about doctors, and they were talking about the problem with modern medicine is that we can't move forward because it's way too slow. By the time we figure something out, it's already like. By the time we figure out like a, how to fix something, it's already been a hundred years. And they were, this was prior to, you know, the, the great plague, but they were talking about how we need to speed up the process of medicine and how we need to move things faster. And like on some level, they made these really elegant arguments for experimenting on people that are like, look, these people are going to die. Like it's super dark, but in, if you think about it from a strictly, you know, a strictly um, species centric, species centric and intellectual point of view. Like, look, these people are all going to die. They're all in their sixties. They're like morbid obese. Why are we not trying this stuff on them? Like it's, it's irresponsible for us to not try this stuff on them. And like, <laughs> like it was a really interesting conversation, you know, and none of them were wearing swastikas, but it seemed like in some ways, <laughs> I don't know. I, on some level, you can see that, though, right? Like, am I wrong to say that on some level we should be trying out drugs on people? Paul, what do you think? Or what do you got, Ben? It's not like we have not done that, right? We Just, haven't um, stopped doing it, I don't think. Yeah, we've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, when it, whether it's been like STDs and experiments with different types of drugs on, you know, prostitutes or black people in America or whatever it may be, you know, we've been doing that, but only then we weren't asking their permission. No, we, we have to come with a label, right? You can test the lower life forms to help the help higher life forms. There has to be some kind of standard, right? But the question for me, it's always the question of like, what, what makes this one life valuable than the others? That that's where you have to be purely intellectual, rational and uh, logical, but I don't think it's, uh, from the wisdom side, it doesn't make sense to me. Where, where do we draw the line to, you know, make this one life better than the other? It's how do you, how do you judge, right? You, you, you make it, you make it a free choice and it's an application like an Uber and you could just sign up to be a part of human experimentation. I'm just not talking about humans. Yeah, it's like, it's like being an organ donor. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you just have an app, you pull it out and you're like, okay, I'll do this experiment, this experiment. Yeah. I'm fat. I, I can qualify for that experiment. You have all your details in there and you can make money just being a human lab rat. That's what and we do with our data veneer. every day. <laughs> yeah, take, the, take the veneer off the damn thing and let people have a choice for it. 
What? I bet you a lot of people would sign up for it. Like, I mean, well, you would. Then the ethical argument is: is are those people of sound mind to actually, you know, make that judgment call for themselves? And then this winds us eventually back to the question of: do you know, should people be ruled? I'm sorry, Ben. What was that? Should people be ruled? Yeah, ultimately, it'll wind us up back there because is it my choice if I want, you know, even if I, you know, you feel I'm compromised, it's still my choice to go off and do whatever I want to do. If I want to be a human lab rat, why can't I? You know, I just think it this way. If I was born before the time fire was invented, right, I wouldn't know about fire. It simply wouldn't exist. Likewise, I think I'm caught up in this time frame with this certain amount of intelligence where there is this tension between individual freedom and then collective ruling. One, one seems easier, both have advantages, but I feel like my intelligence at least hasn't gotten outside of it to encompass what it is and what's, what is a better method, you know? Because you see, either way, it seems, yeah, we, as Jason said, we, we would be heading into dark times. You give power to the individual, yeah, it might happen. And if you see it at a state level, which has been the case, that's also heading into something, right? And I think that's something that I still don't comprehend or understand, you know? Yeah. Do they ultimately end up at the same spot? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Silence inside me, which is nice. <laughs> well, we're all here to observe so we can pull the proper pieces out of each of these systems and build back something better. Hmm. Not and to steal a phrase or anything. <laughs> but I'm um, see, that's the part I've still not gotten becoming trying to become wise or um trying to understand what wisdom is where in the sense that um I read this quote where uh, this guy says a person has understood a bit of meaning of life when he plants a seed uh under which uh, shade he's not going to sit, right? So whenever I'm still caught up in very much a selfish tendency of my life, right? So I question, better for whom? You know, <laughs> better for future, but it's still not better for a lot of us here on earth. You know, when we were saying, heading into the dark times, again, I'm going back there because this group, that conversation might apply. But if you ask uh, the person, kids in Syria or... Um, the girl who got stoned or killed in the police brutality for not wearing a hijab, that's pure dark times for them. I know I drifted off a little, but uh, I just realized it's it's still, you know, I, I always have this question. Sorry for expanding on that. But why, why, why do we, uh, what motivates us to spend more on space research and future, 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 instead of using that money to help the current whatever the world scenario, how do we make the choice? Well, I think a lot of that choice comes from because uh, like attracts like and money seeks money, just like power seeks power. And so they've identified that, you know, if you can capture a, you know, an asteroid rolling around the asteroid belt, a couple trillion dollars worth of natural resources on it. Now, all of a sudden you can use that asteroid and, and use those resources and take and gain advantage in that whole system of things. So, um, you know, I think when when you're asking like, how do you switch something like that? 
you you have to fundamentally change the motivations of society. We have to, you know, the the, the motivations to have all of these, you know, all of this for-profit business that just kind of, you know, is a race to the bottom at the end of the day, that eventually is going to race us directly to the bottom. Um, and if we don't figure out how to make adjustments, that is going to end up as our fate. And, you know, George asked, do those two paths kind of end up the same way? I think, you know, yes is the answer to that question, because fundamentally, foundationally, the society that we're talking about is still powered by this monstrosity mechanism of money. And I think until until we figure out how to make a significant change in that regard, which I think there's ideas to do so, uh, we're not going to be able to affect any sort of lasting or, or, or long-standing change. And, I, and that's why I think conversations like these are very important because that's where we can start to lay the, these future foundations or, you know, maybe very soon in the future foundations, uh, you know, to be, to have this set the stage for the next level of these conversations, these talks, when more people get interested in this, when more people wake up and look around the world and say, hey, look, crap, the train's about to go off the cliff. What, what can I do? And, oh, look, there's people who have been talking about this. There's people who might have answers to these questions. And so I, you know, I don't think you're going to convince top down this system to change it has so much momentum built up and it has so much self-identified purpose that to change its course is an act of absurdity, I think, or to attempt to change its course is an mm. act of absurdity. Education. Yeah. It'll help, but at the end of the day, you know, looked at the numbers of education. You know, you got 50% with sixth grade education, 18% illiterate just in the United States. That's yeah. a, solving that is a, a monumental task in and of itself. I think there's two ways people change and there's two ways societies change. One is through inspiration and one is through desperation. And there's not a whole lot of inspiration out there when you look at people who are leaders. There's not a whole lot of inspiration when you look at education. There's not a whole lot of inspiration except for the True Life podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, now that's a plug, folks. That's a plug. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see yeah, the, that coming. <laughs> the problems, like there, we have problems right now that money can't fix. Like money can't solve the problems that are devastating the planet. Money can't solve the problems that are ruining relationships. And so we need another sort of medium to solve these problems. And I, maybe that's where the psychedelics come in. Maybe you know, getting getting back to what Jason was saying, I I think that you know you have to trust. In yourself and trust in who you believe. Maybe Jason, it sounded like you had you when you had spoke about trust. You said that there are some people that you can't trust. Who who are the people you can't trust? And like, what were you driving at when you had spoke about that? No, I'm just, I think it's just on the on the whole that we can we can't tr like I don't trust power on some levels, right? Right. I don't trust these the 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 energy. And again, it's never about the individual. And it's interesting. I think sometimes this is also um, a, a, one of the most misunderstood elements of sin, if you want to look at it, especially from a, a Christian perspective or the Christ perspective, was that sin was an individual situation. And the reality is it was always seen as corporate, never as the individual. 
So this idea of sin, greed, power, wasn't about the individual. It was about a corporate level of a society that was driven by those things. That was, quote unquote, sinful. And I think you can see the ramifications of a society that is driven by those things the way that it that, that it destroys. Right? I just heard some stat the other day, something like, I want to say 70%, but that feels so high. But I feel like it was 70% of species have extinct within the last 100 years. 70%. That's insane. Like, and that's and like, you look at the why it's like, well, like you look at the power structures, you look at the ways that we're destroying this earth that feels sinful, quote unquote, right? Like that's not goodness. That's not like creating life. And so on some levels, Gaia is going to call some people out on that situation. Right. And I think we're going to see uh, that the earth is going to kind of start to, to revolt a little bit because of the power structures have gotten just a little too big. And I do believe in that kind of self-correction of, of the universe. But yeah, I can't trust sometimes those bigger systems um, and those institutions. Again, it's never about the individual. I think anytime we look at the individual and we love this in media, we always drive things. We try to tie it to the individual. So-and-so is so horrible for this. And so-and-so is the, like, it's never that, right? There's something always much bigger going on in the background. And that's, that's really what we have to awaken to. You know, um, I this reminds me of the dialogue from The Dark Knight. You live, you die a hero or live long to see yourself become villain. It's just <laughs> enough time witnessing activities that are happening on Earth. You genuinely want to... Just ending this would be much better. You know, you get into this. At least I get into this super villain thing. And uh, it makes sense. It's not me or the world. It's the interaction. And it has nothing to do with any individual, you know. When money is involved, when power is involved, that's what I think uh, there is a saying from Tamil. It's it's always the chair, right? The position, the seat of uh, power that's going to be the corrupt. And uh, it takes a lot of effort to not let it affect you, right? And I think that's why one of the reasons psychedelics should be along with um, when people use Bible to say their worst, right? Before taking up uh, positions of uh, justice or whatever. No, it also now goes with the IOS Cup brew. <laughs> they take this and they're like, yep, I know what I need to do. This is not my individual game like I'm playing anymore, you know? Yeah, I wonder if the, if the structure changed, if that would change the ideologies. If like the structure of the way we live, you know, if, 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 if it wasn't... I, I don't know Under how to get out of it. Good. Well, underlying structures influence everything around us. So, you know, uh, for instance, your eye color is because of the structure of your eyes doesn't, it, it reflects that color. And it's the actual physical structure inside your eyes that actually create that color. So it's the underlying structures that really kind of create the manifestations mm -hmm. that are out in the world. Okay, let, what what if this like so there's been re, like over the last like 10 years there was like this big hoopla and this big thing about people changing their pronouns, right? Like you can you can be they or you can be um us. Like what if we just change the definition of some words? Like might might it be that easy just to change definitions of words to fundamentally change society? Like what if we changed um like what if we changed the word 
work into vacation. Like, oh, I'm going to go to work today. Yeah, and you get paid for that. Like, you know, maybe that's that's kind of far out there, but you see what I'm saying? Like, we could change the definition of some words and fundamentally change the way society works. And it wouldn't take, like, it wouldn't take money. It would just take people abiding by these new words that were already in the lexicon. Like, well, like what? Yeah, getting well, then sued, getting sued means you give me money. Oh, you're going to sue me? Thanks. How much are you going to sue me for? Fantastic. Well, the, We've changed that word. The powers that be would make vacation crappy. But it would take them a while because we would just keep changing the word. Like, you know what I mean? At some point, you could change the world by changing the language that's already out there. You, you, you could, but and, and people try to do this. But the thing is, is after you change it, people just find another word to associate with whatever reality was actually taking place. You know, work would just become vacation, so the context and connotation of vacation would change. Well, and I think. I think well, I, I think you know it's it's not it's not changing the definition of words. I think it's changing how the words we use will then change how our reality is defined. Give me an example of that. Well, no absolutes, for instance. So uh, <laughs> you know, good plug. Um, so the idea, if you if you look at everything uh, from a perspective of no absolutes, all of a sudden you're no longer attached to a, a certain ideal, a certain perspective, a certain fact, a certain number, a certain statistic. You now have given yourself the mental ability to walk around those those barriers simply by choosing the words of of looking at the world through the perspective of no absolutes. So, you know, it's the words that we choose. This is actually going to be my second book. It was No Absolutes, uh, you know, uh, Words for Life or something like that, or, or Language for Life. There you go. That's the title. Um, and so the idea is, is that the words that we use, we can change those, right? But, you know, going out and trying to change everybody else's definition of something is kind of, you know, you just, you're going to get back and forth and blow back and eventually you know the it will change whatever definition you change the the reality that's happening in the world will just shift to a different word but if we change the words that we use we can navigate around those barriers i think we got to look at structures though like you were saying a minute ago ben like your eyes are the color they are due to the structure right uh, our understanding of money at least in north america is and the way that we've seen it play out in the economy is because the structure it was built upon was effectively death, right? And the Federal Reserve and how like that idea. So you can't just start saying, oh, well, you know, I think you see this too with crypto. And I'd be curious on your thoughts on this, Ben. But like the, the idea of like, oh, yeah, crypto is money. And like those that doesn't make sense. It's because it's it's really not money. It's a di completely different way of understanding your, your the blockchain and everything that's around it. So it's not money. It's something new. It's something different. And so how much of the, the if we really want to change something, you have to look at the structure and you have to rework the structure and out of the reworking of the structure, a new language develops or does the language shift the structure? I guess it's the chicken and egg, but I'm curious on your well, thoughts on that, Ben. Both can be true, right? Um, but in the instance of like crypto and money, uh, it's a different, so, you know, if you just confine it to the chicken and the egg, that's going to be, you know, you only have a, a choice, a zero and a one. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you look at like the money situation, you can stand back and you can say, oh, it's not actually, money is not what we're looking at. We're looking at a different system of economics. Yes. Right. And money is just a term that we use to kind of uh, facilitate, uh, 
you know, trade between people in, in transaction, transactional relationships. Uh, and it's debt based in this, mm-hmm. in, you know, in this, in this system that we have. And what that debt based system is, is essentially, you know, you just keep printing money and you just you're battling your constant inflation up and down so and so in the crypto side of things and it's not true for all cryptos because some cryptos have adopted that that set mm-hmm. of economic systems but for bitcoin for instance um, you know there will ever, only ever be 21 million bitcoin mm-hmm. that's a that's a hard number you can't just go off and add zeros to that so now instead of having a, you know a debt based system that you could just keep continue printing zeros onto that. Now you have kind of a, a built-in utility to that system where it kind of turns into a store of value. Because even if, if so there's 33, uh, 33 million millionaires on the planet right now. So if all of them wanted a Bitcoin tomorrow, they couldn't have it. So there's a scarcity aspect in there. And so, you know, it starts to get into, you know, what we define, you know, as economics then and the actual pieces of those systems. Uh, And I think, you know, when we start to be serious about those conversations, there are certain aspects of that. And that's like why Bitcoin was such an interesting experiment and still is, is because it took pieces of those conversations, not just about economics, but about society, you Mm -hmm. know, and then, you know, selfish actors and, and, you know, kind of took the game theory aspect of what we saw happen in the past and then figured out a way to balance that equation you know, in this mechanism. Uh, And so I think, you know, that's the recipe for what we're going to see be successful in the future is we're going to see the conglomeration of of all of this access of data, all of this information that we now have, you know, at our fingertips, all these conversations now happening. We're going to see these systems just get built and evolve Mm -hmm. and hold the good ideas and get and be done with the bad ideas. I think you're going to see, like, when when that begins to happen, it reshapes work. On so I'm like, I'm really curious yes. to see how that's always going to come because we now realize we don't work for this debt based system of needing money to pay off the stuff. Now, all of a sudden, the way we start to work completely shifts, and I think that's a, another structure that is on the edge of really cracking. And I think work from home stuff yes. pushed it to a level that's like it, it's really going to be interesting to see what comes out of our perceptions of work. Right. And I think so. We're already seeing it, but you're seeing the, you know, people are waking up. They're saying, well, I want individual wealth. Mm -hmm. I don't want money. I want wealth. And those are two very different things. And a lot of people who want that don't even understand the difference of those things. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Because you're not taught the difference of those things in any school system that I'm aware of in this country. Uh, And you know, very few people actually will educate you on how to build individual wealth. But because of the advent of these things, like in the gig economy, now you're seeing the ability for people to leverage their time to build that individual wealth, even if they don't understand, you know, the greater economics at play here. And so we're seeing, we're, we're just seeing that decentralization of work. Mm-hmm. And that is, and that's going to be a stepping stone into the next iteration of, of what we call businesses and community and, and eventually society. That's mm-hmm. kind of what my Terry Berry project is kind of yeah. on the path of. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I like, I, it, 
you kind of touched on this, but like that's that's what we're seeing now is like because there are people from working home, there is a fundamental breakdown in monetary systems around the world, and you could argue that what's happening in the Ukraine and Europe is a fight for resources before they have the new economy because regardless of what kind of digital currency you have, resources are still going to be worth having. Right. Yeah, yeah, commodities are still commodities. How you how you settle those those transactions? Uh, well, I mean, it kind of does matter if you look at like the big numbers. Financial transactions, the financial services market accounts for twenty three percent of you know all of the revenue in the world. Uh, that used to be a big fat zero when it was all controlled. You know, back in like the kerosene days, the Rockefeller days, things like that. It was all commodities. Um, and if you own the the mining stations, the refineries, the the distribution, all of that was all tied to commodities. Now you have this financial services type thing. So, I mean, yes and no a little bit, I guess. <laughs> Do you think that that's what's? Bri- I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Might be a little drift off, but it reminds me of that uh, uh, Fight Club's dialogue, right? Uh, advertising asses chasing cars and shit with that we don't need with money we don't have. Right, so mm-hmm. we are now gonna if we replace money along with this, this whole idea of advertising or making people buy so that you can have a living. The whole aspect of you know there are I, I don't see sales in a very positive light because I feel like marketing is good. It's about raising awareness that a product like that exists, but sales crosses a line for me in my head. Right, so those kind of things will change into more. Um, I don't want to call it necessary things, but at least more things, things that will make us more alive or appreciate, uh, be grateful for being alive. Like but, what kind of things that would, like what kind of things? So in the sense that, uh, consider something like art, which is not in some sense, you can say it's a most unproductive thing because Productive is sense of a measure, right? Now we have so many things that we are not able to measure. Maybe we won't ever be able to measure such as what we feel inside, right? We can come with close approximation. I think that's why those words are there. Close approximations of what we feel do feel inside, right? And um, I'm sorry, I lose my thought there. <laughs> I can't no. think of the particular example that... Uh, yeah, I feel like if people are not compelled to do things because they are given this framework of this is what you need to buy, this is chasing the American dream, basically, right? If there is no American dream, people could do nothing and eventually they will come across stuff they are passionate about, right? Mm-hmm. And then things happen out of love rather than... Right now, there is only a bit of a mismatch, the dissonance between what people want to do and what they are doing, right? It's like this... Uh, everyone wants to sit in the next chair, you just have to move them. But in order to move them, you just need to create the space where they can understand it's as simple. If I stop chasing, going to this particular thing that I don't need to do, the same is going to be done for the position that I am chasing after. You know, Most passionate people don't get into things that they can because someone else who is not passionate is there because of status game. right? So those aspects can change right? where people do what they do and there is always opportunity. Right? There won't be competition, at least the way it is right now. Right. Yeah. I think I think that's that's a potential reality for sure. Um, and I think that is directly a reflection of the structure that you put 
that underlies all of that. Um, <clears throat> I think you can accomplish that, uh, you know, by taking a, a communal type idea and merging it with a business type idea and providing the things that everybody, you know, has to go out and seek to provide for their family. But if that was provided, because we do have technology that allows us to automate a lot of these things. We do have technology that allows us to, you know, have renewable resources for a good chunk of this stuff. Um, and we're just at the right perfect time where you have access to these things at an affordable rate to actually implement these experiments and ideas. But I think if you can create that type of structure, that type of foundational environment, that's where you get that's where you get these results. That's where you get that that uh, uh, the reality born into the world. Maybe we're just now achieving a level of consciousness where people can do what they want. You know, maybe if we look back at the world as a system and we say, look, all this negativity, all this war, all this stuff was necessary to get us here. You know, and maybe like if you look at the way society has been run, it's been run somewhat for the last for the last 200 years of industrialization. It's kind of been run in an authoritarian way with like a whip, like get to work. We got to fix this thing. It's got to start running good. And Faster you got to, yeah, you got to feed people drugs to get them fired up, to get them in there, to start working on the wheel and you got to get them in there and keep them in there. But maybe now, you know, maybe now the same way that the earth causes a virus to bring down the population of rabbits when they make too much, so too has man created a virus to slow down this machine to let us bloom in a way like maybe it's because we've had this stop this hard stop it's 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 not so much of a hard stop and like you know maybe, maybe it's necessary maybe this is part of the program this hard stop this hard reset is because we're moving into another phase where we're going to become more of the flower than we are the vegetable the vegetative stage you know, like all plants grow vegetative and then they flower. Maybe that's where we're at right now. Maybe we are cut like the corn coming out of the husk. So too are we beginning to show ourselves. And, you know, I, I use the metaphor of the, of the um, butterfly or the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. And I think Ranga even today was talking about the cocooning. Like maybe we are just beginning to emerge as a new form and these new ideas that even that we've had right here, be it cryptocurrency or be it, the Terra Libre project, maybe these new ideas are us reaching through the broken chrysalis and testing the environment. Like, hey, what is this? This is weird. Hey, maybe we don't need, what is money? Oh yeah, money was just something we needed in the cocoon. Money was what we had that the umbilical cord was feeding us, but we no longer need that. Let's detach the umbilical cord and let's test out this thing called an arm. Like, what is this thing, you know? And maybe it's so difficult for us to understand because we've never, at least us, at least our particular time have never been part of what's happening. And that would go right back to what Jason said about, hey, we're building something new. And on some level, we all know it. Like Jason just came out and was like, look, we're going to be building this new thing. Like, how did you know that, Jason? Like, how did you know we were doing that? Like, where, where did you, like that, that knowledge was given to you or you had it in your genetic code or somehow you knew we're doing this. And I think other people feel that. Like, we yeah. all know something is happening. We all know something is changing. And it's, it's just like if we can apply it to as above, so below, it's the cocoon. It's the corn and the husk. It's the flower getting ready to, to, to expand. It's, it's the bananas coming out of the sheath. It's, it's us 
becoming the next version of us. Like Ben says, like we go around, we don't necessarily are people, we rhyme in a helical model. Like we are at the point where things are about to happen and there is going to be a great die off. Like just, it, it doesn't even need to be nuclear war. The baby boomers are dying and they're like the biggest part of the, of humankind for the last couple of generations. There was so many of them. And if you just draw it back to the plants, like the plant needed a lot of nutrients and now it's dying and now something new is being born. Like I, I can't, like that comes into my mind so often and it, it, it's frightening. It's scary, but it's, beautiful in a way it's it's sort of this beautiful tragedy that's going to unfold in front of us and if you think about it like this think about a movie that you see or a play that you see that play is so much like the only time people stand up and give an ovation is after like the bad guy died and that thing that happened it came through in a way you didn't understand and all of a sudden you're like oh yeah, did they found her, you know? I knew it. Oh my god. Yeah. That I knew that guy was the good guy. Even though I thought he was horrible, I knew it. I could tell deep down. It's that story of the underdog that comes to win at the end. It's the story of the man or woman who had no business being at the top but somehow made it through perseverance and became the symbol of success for a generation. Like I think that that is what's about to happen to us. And if it makes sense, because right now we're in the part of the movie that's super dark. We're like, there's no way out of here, man. Like, we're we're that Super Bowl team that's in the second half and we're down by 50. Dude, we're dead. There's no way. And the coach comes in. It's like, listen up, boys. How long, how hard has it taken you to get here? Hmm. We brought in Ranga from India. We got the damn beekeeper from Maui. Jason was part of this church, man. Come on, man. We got Mr. Wizard here. I'm, I'm there are curious. No coincidences. There aren't. I'm curious. Has anybody gone down the rabbit hole of human design? And like, you mean like aliens making people? No, no. Like, um, the actual like, um, it's by Ra Uhura, no, and it's the the science the science of definition. All right. If nobody's gone down that rabbit hole, I don't know. I want to open that can of worms. But there's a lot of things that are really fascinating about human design and some of this, like Rahu Ra basically got this download in the 80s over about 10 days and built this, uh, an understanding and a structure of, of things that's pretty freaking insane. I don't know that I prescribed all of it, but I've definitely been going down the rabbit hole with it. Um, and the biggest thing that he talks about is these ages that we've lived in. And um, we've lived in what he calls the, the, the cross of planning has been about the last 400 years. And everything that has been driven throughout the energy of the world has been this, this energy of planning, right? So whether through those colonization, whether it's through the expanding of the empires, like planning, planning, planning across everything. And basically th th that that cross of planning will end in 2027. And I always get hesitant when people put dates out and they're like, this is going to happen on this day. And I'm like, okay. But so I don't know if I prescribe to all that, but it's interesting because he talks about shifting and, and he also talks about a new consciousness coming online called the raves, the R-A-B-E-S, the raves. And the raves will be very similar to us from a consciousness perspective, but they will have a different ability to manifest than we do. Um, that they will be able to literally, like you're talking about, the shift, the flower, this evolution of consciousness, that their understanding to like create what they want to create will come far easier than how we've had to do it through these processes of planning and whatnot. And that when the raves come online, they're going to, you know, 
it's going to take a while for them to really start to impact society, but it's going to be a new way of thinking that's going to take us to this next this next place. So, are anyways, they, are the, what are are the rabes people? Yeah, no, yeah, they're they're humans. But the humans, I think this is uh, this reminds me of what Osho calls the new man. Yes, right. Very similar. And it sounds very similar in that idea that we we are right now manifesting. It's not that we are not manifesting. Whatever mm-hmm. comes as thought, it's just it's converted into action, backed up by plans, and that's that's what's happening, right? So it is the lack of clarity what to manifest. So all forms of desires are getting manifested, right? So that's where you have. Uh, let's say rape cases or criminal cases or even as small as uh, systematic racism or systematic greediness right and uh, these things will change mm-hmm. because uh, there will be a clarity to just the intuitive knowing of why i am doing it right because you are always curious why why the fuck am i here in the first place right that, that it never dies like and i never get uh, bored saying that maybe i'm going to bore you guys but every single second it comes by i'm only curious why i'm here because this this just doesn't seem limited to what we are doing right now you know just these actions i'm curious about just existence itself and i think that that question leads to a clarity and when jason described it osho's new man came because that's what it's about be a rebel rebel against everything that is there and then you're going to have a clarity mm mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so basically human design looks at this idea of he brought four different modalities of understanding our unique makeup and design. It was the Kabbalah. It was astrology. It was uh, a Chinese. I, I can never pronounce it. And then a fourth one that I don't remember. Um, and again, I'm just getting into the rabbit hole. So I'm speaking very like uh, elementary on some levels to these things. But the idea is that with these four different pieces, we're able to really understand the two elements of our of who we are uh, as people. Whether you want to call that ego, true self, false self, whatever. But he he talks about we have we hold an inner design, and then we have our personalities, um, and that through going through this process, like you can really understand your personality of the conscious mind, and then we can begin to understand our intelligence. And really, the the reality again is that our mind. Is nothing. It thinks it's the driver of this vehicle of our bodies, but our bodies holds the intelligence. Like we we hold this incredible intelligence, and we have to be able to understand that the mind is simply nothing more than a passenger. So you're talking about a movie, and this is what triggered it for me, George. Is like he talks a lot about like the thinking mind is nothing more than a, than an ass in a seat watching the movie unfold before it. That's all we are. We're just watching this movie and this Layla and this beautiful play happening right before us. And the problem is when our thinking mind attaches and we're like, holy fuck, she just died. What's going on? Like, this is the worst thing that could have happened. And then, and then we wake up and we're like, oh, like it was just a movie, right? Plato's cave, very similar thinking, right? Where shadows on the wall and there's a whole world that's behind us. Like, so these themes that come up and, and I think it's right. Like, this is nothing more than just the, that we're observing the universe living itself out and we're participating in that on some levels, but that's that's it and so but when we can start to understand some of that stuff and that's what he lays out it gets really interesting yeah that's i gotta read this like i on so many levels like okay so if we stay with that motif a little bit and there's this thing called um gene therapy right like if you Mm want to get gene therapy you get a shot like every month or every few months or something like that and it could change your genes 
Is it possible that like if you consume mushrooms like once a month, that like, you are also genetically engineering yourself? Like that would kind of fit Terrence McKenna's stoned ape theory, right? Like if you if you continue to take this substance that changes your brain or changes your cells in your brain and you do it frequently, you do it enough, you're going to change yourself forever, right? And if 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 you just look at the – I mean that's – in a weird way, that's, that, that's McKenna's stoned ape theory is that mm -hmm. like it, it helped – blow up our brain or whatever but might that be like if you just look at the space right now and you look at some of the people talking and writing papers granted not all of them but a lot of people in this space are all thinking kind of similar and a lot of people in this space are beginning to see things like they're growing together the same way mycelium grows like it, it makes me think that maybe like that, that is the rapes. Maybe, maybe you become part of the new consciousness by a, by a, by a natural gene therapy. And that is taking mushrooms. That is taking these psychedelics because it's fundamentally changing who you are. I got to tell you, like, I think I'm someone totally different than I was 10 years ago, five years ago. Like the way I think, the way I interact, like, and and maybe but that's is the your world personality changing. different or is your inner intelligence? Are you, is that a, like really what's different? I think that becomes a, an important question. Yeah. I, how do you, how do you define, like, well, how would you define inner intelligence? So, I mean, I think it looks at if you want to, or maybe we look at it through the lens of like the ego and the true mm -hmm. self, right? Okay. And that the really the blowing up of what's happening, whether we go, when we go through this process, we break down our personality on some levels and we begin to awaken to this deeper knowledge this deeper intuition this deeper understanding this this reality that we now can observe in a way not just when we're high but like in the every day yeah and all of a sudden we we the 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 thing has shed but we're maybe more ourselves than we ever were not like we only change to become more of who we are not less that's beautiful. Yes, yes, yes. I think I'm finally becoming who I'm supposed to be. Yes. What I do you think, think I think part of the path is the merging of the ego and the true self. Mm. And I think yes. in doing that, that, yes. And I think in doing that, you wake up and you go, Well, yeah, I know my name is Benjamin C. George, and that's been my name the entire life, but that's not who I am anymore. And when you have that day of awakening, you know it. And I've been on that day with quite a few people um, and they know it too. And, mm -hmm. and then the next step in that path, that particular path is finding out who you are, why you're here, what's, mm -hmm. what's your purpose? Because uh, there are no coincidences and I'm pretty sure we all chose to be here. 100%. See, that, that's the part, George, you said about becoming who we are, right? And one of the things that happened to me on this, uh, same as Benjamin said, like, my name, yeah, this is the name for me, but this is not who I am, not limited by this. But along with that goes the desire to be affected. No, not desire, goes the attachment that we are affected by the name. The name can be whatever, right? Same with your uh, conversation the other day with respect to people giving numbers. Yeah, sure, I'm a number, but I'm not that, that I know. And I, I am the only one who needs to know that, right? So there is no convincing other people who you are rather embracing yourself. I think the whole purpose for me in that sense becomes that find who you are, right? You're so busy finding yourself. You don't have to do anything. Just find yourself. And I think you do not have time to actually interact 
in a negative way with environment mm-hmm. because there is no environment there is just it's it's all going to be part of the same thing right and psychedelics does that yeah it's amazing how you can find yourself in other people you know i always that's been a big part of of my realization over the last few years is like everything i see in people is a mi- like and this is so cliche i talk about this all the time but it's like it's a mirror and like it's really helped me with my emotional understanding or my integration of emotions into the whole is that whenever i feel the emotions pull on me it's usually it used to be i thought because of something that happened whether it was something i did or whether it was something else did it was a reaction but now i realize it's just a it's just a a an idea it is just something to make me aware of myself like the emotions are there to make you aware of yourself and sometimes those emotions are the mirror in somebody else or it's something you see in somebody else like for example if somebody else is is yelling at me for something instead of instead of allowing that emotion to overcome me i think to myself like oh this is what i sound like sometimes when i'm upset i should i should stop that or you know when someone is acting out in a certain way i'm like oh i bet you they're having problems at home because that's when i feel that way you know and, and and it allows me to not react but to reach out if that kind of makes sense yeah it's weird it's 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 interesting to think of your name or your number or any sort of label as a container that holds you in instead of it's 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 a limiting belief right the difference between knowledge and wisdom mm. yes yeah, that is well put. Gentlemen, we are coming up on this two-hour mark. And as always, like we're just starting to get down to the nitty-gritty right here. But um, I get, I'm getting waved down. I got, I got a two-hour max before my daughter comes in here and starts smacking me around. So, Love it. Yeah, man. I, I love talking to you guys. And I, I, love, I love where the conversations go. I, I, I love being around and talking to people and learning and listening. And I feel like we're getting deeper and better with every conversation. So thank you for that. Let's, before we go, let's, let's go around the horn here so people can figure out what you're up to, where they can find you, and what you're excited about. Let's start with Jason. What do you got, buddy? All right. Jason at uh, experienceintegration.com. Same uh, handle. And uh, I'm, the thing that's got me interested is continuing on uh, these conversations, digging. I'm telling you, I've been going down this rabbit hole of human design. I don't know where it's going to lead, but it's been, uh, it's been an interesting hole to, to start doing some digging around. So that's been interesting. That's got my spark right now. Nice. Ben, what about you, buddy? Uh, BenjaminCGeorge.com for uh, the book, the podcast, which is now out. The first episode happened with George last week. Uh, we had some technical difficulties, so there's going to be a version 1.5 coming soon. <laughs> um, I'm excited to just keep going down this path. I'd love to have you, Ranga, and you, Jason, and you, yeah. Paul, but I don't know if Paul wants to do my podcast. <laughs> he might be scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm I'd down. love to have you, I'm- Paul. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I'd be down. Cool. Okay. Rongo, where can people where can people find you? What are you excited about, my friend? You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm uh, finally we had our first podcast and uh, we didn't uh, live stream it. We recorded it. At least we got it out. But I was also happy that it was not live stream because uh, I got to edit certain things so that I don't get stoned by the Iranian police. 
Oh, oops. I didn't give away too much. So we got to do the edit work here and there to just something seemed like um, I still got to play this game. I have one foot in the system to not be killed in one day. So, yeah, but that's, that's it. So we let it and release it. Paul, what do you got? Any final words you want to leave us with, buddy? No, not really. <laughs> um, you know, I'm here on Sundays at two. <laughs> Fantastic. I have, um, I got a myriad of shows coming up. Um, hopefully with every one of you shortly. And, um, you know, I was telling Ben earlier, I'm, I'm excited about, I got a cool author coming up. Um, David Walton, who wrote a book called The Genius Play. Like, everybody should check it out. It's really good. It's about, it's a, it encompasses a lot of what we we're talking about, but it's built on a fiction foundation. And it talks about the integration of mushrooms into the, into the kind of stoned ape theory. And it's, it's really good. But uh, I got him coming up at the end of the month. And I've got a lot of other interesting people coming in. So stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, great conversation today, guys. I really appreciate it. So Thank you for your time. All the links will be in the show notes and I will talk to everybody next Sunday. Thank you to everyone who joined in and listened to this. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you next week. Aloha. Right. Aloha. Yep.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.